Good morning, everyone. Am I on? We will be in the passage that Daniel read. Uh, however, we will only deal with the wheat and the tares, so verses 24 through 30, mixed in with 36 through 43. Before I begin, I just wanted to, I guess, give an encouragement. When we come to a passage like this, it's really awesome to see how God kind of is fitting everything together um, and, and showing us so. For instance, a lot of my studying in this section was based upon the Matthew series that we, well, clearly, I mean, we're in Matthew, but we're going th through Matthew and and the talk of the kingdom, and even a couple of weeks ago, Todd talked about the two kingdoms at war with each other and, um, and such. But also, the eschatology Bible study that we just recently had, and the eschatological language that appears in this section here, really helps inform how to properly understand this text. And it also helps that Jesus explain the text to us in... Uh, the last part of, well, in the middle part of this ver uh, chapter here, 36 through 43. So that, that, that was really easy, too. Um, so I really encourage you that if you've missed any of the Matthew messages, to go back and listen to them online. And especially with the eschatology classes, go back. Because there's so many different interpretations and understandings on eschatology that we need to have a more biblical understanding. And when we bring that biblical understanding here, everything starts to make more sense when we get to a passage like this. Um, and some of the things that we've gotten from those studies, things such as uh, the New Testament teaches that the kingdom has come in Jesus. I mean, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, after uh, the desert and the temptation, is preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. Other things that we've uh, talked about, the, the two ages, the, the age that we're in right now, we're going to discuss a little bit later here today, but even the age to come, this future new heavens and new earth that's coming, and we see that there's this like overlapping of the two. And then, as I mentioned, that Matthew 12 passage uh, that's titled... Uh, a tale of two kingdoms that can be found on the website. And one other thing that we have to remember is that this is a parable, so there's certain limitations, or not limitations, but limited focus on what's going on here. So not everything is a metaphor for something else. It's not like an allegory. And, and we have to take things properly in the context and in what is actually being discussed here. Okay. Hopefully, all of that stays in your mind the whole time that I talk for the next two and a half hours. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just um, am so amazed over and over again by your goodness, by the fact that there's any good in this world. Um, I know a lot of people struggle with the idea of evil, but I've always struggled with the thought of um, how could there be good among all this evil? 
Lord, I thank you that you are, um, that you've called us here, that you've called us out of this world, that you brought us here to worship you. You've given us new hearts. You've given, given us new desires. Um, you made us something that we did not used to be. And I guess in that sense, that is the only sense of evolution that makes sense. That you could take something that wasn't and make, that was a completely different nature and make it into something new and different. We thank you for that. Father, be with us today. Help us to have clear minds, especially me. Um, help us to just to see your word and your working throughout this world. Help us to understand this parable. And really, um, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would go out and just um, move within our hearts and, um, and change us and um, really help us to make connections of your whole world and, your, and the plan that you've been unfolding throughout all of history, Lord. We thank you for this privilege of being called your children. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please don't hate me, um, but I have a really, mm, tense relationship with Chipotle. On Friday, I had the privilege of going to Chipotle with a dear couple um, on their anniversary. It was weird, but it wasn't weird for the reason that you think it would have been weird, that a single man went with... Uh, a, a couple on their anniversary. Um, but something that I don't know if I've told them, I'm sure I've discussed this with someone before, but I really don't like cilantro. The first time I was ever at Chipotle and had a burrito, and I, that's all I tasted was cilantro through everything. And I've never tasted it before. And it was just really shocking, and I just my gut reaction was to hate it. And how do you hate, a, like, a weed? I don't even know why we eat weeds. But, like, to, to have a... It comes from the ground. But to have a hatred for it, I don't understand why. But when I look at rice, I, I just view it the way that my mom made it and the way her mom made it, pure and white and fluffy with this, like, this subtle flavor, right, that kind of absorbs whatever it's with. And then you add cilantro to it, but not just a little bit. It's just like all throughout it. It's almost like for every piece of rice, there's this little chopped up cilantro piece. And it just permeates throughout. And I just wonder how two, in my mind, diametrically opposed things can exist in the same sphere of a pan here, right? And... I just, I can't understand that. Why? Like, why would something good and pure be with something, I won't call it evil, but distasteful and, and less pure? Um, thankfully, it's not celery. Because with celery, I can actually taste the dirt that's still on it. Um, but I've learned to be thankful when I go to Chipotle. Thankful for the people that I'm with, that I actually get to spend time with them. I'm thankful that I'm not hungry at the end of that. Thankful for the hot sauce that can cover up the cilantro. Learn to be patient because I know that my time there will be limited and then I can move on and go do something else. Um, 
and even loving. Because like as we're sitting there and eating, I've decided that I'm not going to complain about the cilantro. I'm going to enjoy the time here. I'm not going to ruin someone else's time. Except, well, maybe the future here if we ever go out to Chipotle. But like, I'm not going to be so offended by the cilantro that in that moment, I'm going to ruin the people that I'm with time in Chipotle. And this is the question and the mindset that I think is here in this parable. Um, How can two things that seem so uh, diametrically opposed to one another exist in one area? So we're going to go through this. As I said, we're going to mix in Christ's uh, explanation, and then um, hopefully that answer will be Whoa, hopefully that question will be answered, and you can question the answer later if you want, Um, but we'll do that later. So verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now I know that Jesus is using this parable to explain what the kingdom of heaven is. And that he doesn't, in the later verses, go back to explain it because he's doing that now. But I think we have to understand the thinking that brings this question about, about like, what is the kingdom of heaven? And if, how can these two things that are opposed this good seed and this, these tares, these, this wheat and these tares, um, exist in the same field if the kingdom of heaven is here. So the thinking at the time, if you remember from uh, Easter when we talked about the triumphal entry, when um, they're laying the coats and the, and the leaves down for Jesus, and they're all expecting him to ride this steed, this big warrior steed come in like he's on a tank and, and really um, thrashing and crushing the, the opponents and the oppressors. That's what they think the coming of the kingdom is, the coming of the Messiah is. This, this forceful and um, warlike uh, a salvation for the people like kicking out Rome and, 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 and spreading the kingdom of heaven on the enemy's blood. But we saw back then in the triumphal entry that he came in on donkey. And it's a similar thing here. They didn't understand that the, that the kingdom was coming, but it wasn't going to come um, kicking doors down and, 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 and uh, spearing people and and uh, taking people's lives. But we see here that it's a subtle expansion of the kingdom in this world. It's kind of like a dollar general. Like, yeah, dollar general. You see one, and it makes sense, like in Greenville, but then you drive into the middle of nowhere, and then you see another dollar general. You're like, why is there a dollar general in the middle of Adamsville? You know, like, and it's not even near, like, I, well, there is some civilization there, but, but it's just like this subtle spreading of it. And that's what Jesus is coming at or getting to that, that um, 
while there's all these family dollars around that this dollar general is starting to spread and starting to go and move about and, 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 and expand. And so we see the first thing that he explains is who the man is, this man who is sowing the good seed. And he says it's the son of man. And I think this helps the, the, the wrong thinking of, of what the kingdom is going to be like. We see, and I, when I say that, most people are thinking about the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 when um, he has this vision of the four beasts and then he has this final beast with, the, with um, the, these ten horns and this pompous words as the Bible says. And then in verse 11 of Daniel 7 it says, I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And so this, this beast here was eradicated and destroyed and put away. And then the other beasts that were with it, their dominion was taken away. But what it says of the Son of Man, and it starts in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, Son of man, human, coming with the clouds of heaven, divine. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And so here we have this eschatological language of who this man is, the son of man, and, and the coming of the kingdom, and that this kingdom will be established, and then it won't be, um, it'll be for everlasting. It won't be destroyed. But Jesus goes on to explain that, yeah, there will be a time of that, but right now, what's happening is this subtle expansion here. And he says that the good seed that he's planting, that he's sowing, are the sons of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom. And that's how he's expanding the, the, the kingdom here. This, this, and, and then, and then the, the, the sons of the kingdom become the representation of the kingdom, and then it, he, he spreads it, and it grows, and it matures, and it strengthens. But then we have to ask, who is, I mean, who is the sons of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom? And we know that throughout the study of our scriptures that the ones who are the sons and the children, the children, the sons and daughters of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom are the ones with regenerate hearts, the ones who put their faith and trust in the Messiah, the one who understand that, um, that their sinful nature needs to be dealt with and that they need saved from the coming judgment, which will be, which will be touched upon later. And of course, this field that he's sowing in is his world. It's the whole world. And I want to emphasize that the regenerate heart and that it's the world because it's, he's not talking about the church. He's not talking about what's happening here or, or even more broadly, the evangelical church. Um, he's, it's a bad interpretation that some commentators have that saying that what Jesus is talking about is the church First of all, because in um, verse 38, he said the field is the world, cosmos. He doesn't say the world is the, 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 the field is the church, ecclesia. She's only crying because she's a baby, and she probably right now thinks paedobaptism. 
which, which this is, which the Paedo-Baptists actually draw from this because they have this, um, because of their understanding of the covenant and, and church membership, the, uh, when the family or the, 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 the saved parents um, are saved and they're, for, they believe that the kids are underneath the under, uh, covenant of grace, uh, which is not taught in the Bible. Um, and so they use this for, to understand, because there was a lot of excommunication that was happening in the early church to kind of chill that out a little bit. But in Matthew 18, well, we'll get to that later. Yeah, in the part where, in verse 28 and 29. So in verse 25, it says that when the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his ways. I think there's too much of an emphasis on the first clause of men sleeping. I think it's a, it's a fine thing that men sleep and get their rest. The emphasis needs to be on the enemy, the devil, that Jesus says who he identifies as the enemy. And we have to understand that this devil, this enemy, comes under the cloak of night when men are sleeping, when they're resting, so that he can't be disturbed in the work that he's doing. He can't be um, caught with um, planting the tares that he's planting there, the, the sons of the kingdom, that the, or the sons of the wicked one that we, we come to find out that they are. He can't be caught trespassing on the, the Son of Man's field, his world, and maliciously planting this tear, this, this uh, I, I found in my study that it was most likely darnel, which kind of has this poisonous um, effect on grazing animals. So it's to no benefit of anybody. It brings harm. And it has an effect on the sons of the kingdom, the good seed, once they sprout. And the crazy thing is, um, in verses 26 and 27, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, when the tears also appear, appeared, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Until the, the, until the wheat starts producing some fruit and so it starts sprouting up, producing fruit, producing the crop, the wheat and the tares are identical. And no one can tell the difference between the two. But we know when um, it gets to a certain level of maturity that we can clearly see the wheat that was planted by the good seed and the tares that was planted by the devil. And what's interesting enough is I don't think that the tares that the devil planted was just a couple little sprouts of weeds growing up here and there. Because I don't... I don't believe that the servants would have noticed that in this parable. But it seems like that there's a huge number of tares that were growing in relation to the wheat. Was it a quarter, a half, two-thirds? I don't know. 
But there was enough to tell the difference of all these tares and of all these wheat. And then they come, and I don't think they ask a question of accusation, um, but of a surprise. Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And I think that reinforces the idea of the, the multitude of the tares. There was so much that they couldn't believe that, dude, you're, you said you were going to go plant good seed, and now all these... All this, all this um, useless crop is growing. These weeds. Did you do that on purpose? He's like, no, I didn't do that on purpose. The enemy has done that, and the enemy has sown apparently as much, maybe a little bit less, maybe more, as the wheat. And so, up to this point, we have here. Jesus is explaining that the kingdom, as it's coming, as it's expanding in this world, will have both wheat and tares, the good seed and the bad seed, the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the wicked one. And it's really, it's going to sound strange, but I think it's really encouraging to know that this is happening, that he said that this is happening. Because when we look out in the world today and we see the reality of it spreading far and wide, it's so easy to get dismayed and disheartened, right? It's so easy to, to see how, yeah, it's cool. People are being saved, and that's awesome. But we also have this other thing happening here where... Wickedness is growing rampant. Um, and whether that's uh, the wickedness of people just not being as nice as they used to be 5, 10, 15 years ago, um, the, the wickedness of, uh, of promoting and believing lies over the truth, uh, the wickedness of uh, still, and this is the biggest wickedness, of denying God who he is and putting ourselves in place of him over our own lives. Now, it's not a psychotic encouragement, but it's just encouraging to know that Jesus has said that the kingdom of heaven is like this, and that we still see it, and that we're still a part of it, and that, his, that this isn't outside the plan of God, that this isn't um, him failing, this isn't him not knowing what's going on, but he tells us that this is going to happen, and it is happening. He goes on to say in the 20, verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this, and this is cool too. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go out and gather them up? Do you want us to go out and, and rip all the tares out and, and remove them and get them away from the wheat so that the wheat can grow stronger and, and, and more bountiful? Verse 29, but he said, no, don't do that. Why? Lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. 
he, 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 sees the, he sees the condition of how close the tares and the wheat are. And, and maybe the roots are intermingled. Well, that's what he's suggesting here, that the roots are intermingled. And maybe the tares are, are growing up and, uh, and uh, kind of oppressing and suppressing the growth of the wheat. And maybe the produce might be a little bit smaller. Maybe it's choked out. The wheat's choked out. The wheat's not getting as much sunlight that it, it needs or as much water as it needs. And the wheat's overwhelmed and um, pressed in upon, persecuted, if you will. But the Son of Man, Jesus says, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. It's... Um, I have in my notes, I call this tender care, that he understands that if the, the servants go and start uprooting the, 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 the tares, the weeds are going to come along with them. And when that happens, the wheat will start to die. But he doesn't want the wheat to die. He wants to wheat to continue to grow and mature. And he says in verse 30, let both grow until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, uh, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he wants to wait to the time when it's ready to pull the, um, the wheat from the ground, to, to harvest it. And he says that this is, the time of this is going to be the end of the age in uh, verse 39. Then he sowed them as the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. We know that the end of the age, especially if you've taken the eschatology class, has these blaring trumpets and this ascending Christ and with his angels and his armies and the resurrection of the dead and then the resurrection of the living. And then it comes to judgment. There's a time for when the wheat will be harvested and when the tares will be um, bound up and thrown out. says in verse 40 therefore as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of this age the son of man will send out his angels they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine forth as a son of the kingdom of their father who has ears to hear let him hear so the question is why? Why would Jesus allow such a time to occur? That there will be no gathering until the harvest, until the end of the age. Why would he let both grow together seemingly to maturity? Well, that's a really good question. Certainly, we can see that as this is happening, we still see the expansion and the growth of the kingdom. 
we see, continually see God working in this world. That even as the, 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 the wickedness of, we'll say, the unregenerate or, or, or the outright evil on the devil continues to work, we still see the, the work of God and his kingdom going forth and, and rising and growing. It's expanding. And I think we have to add to that because this is a limited in scope as a parable, we have to mention that not all the people that are supposed to be in the kingdom of God are in the kingdom of God yet. And so there's opportunity and room for um, the conveyance from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, as Colossians says. There will be a time when there's separation when there's when the rebellion is squashed out when all the god haters are dealt with but it's not that time yet it's a time of the the kingdom expanding and growing and calling folks in and as i think about this i try not to be hard on the, on, well, uh, like Christians and the church, because it's Christ's bride. He loves her. Um, but I think for something like this, we have to, there's some practical things that we should do. I think we have to stop being surprised at how wicked and evil this world is getting. That's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep growing, as it says, until the end of the age. Now, I'm not saying that like we can never be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's going on. But I think there has to come a point where we stop being surprised and appalled all the time. Because I've noticed that it just leads to doing nothing and complaining more. And so it's like we're taking on the influence of the tares here. We're not getting as much sunlight, so we complain about it. We're not getting as much water, so we complain about it. And I think the antidote to that is to remember that we once were tares, that we once were the sons of the wicked one, and that if it wasn't for Christ um, spreading his um, seed, as it were, through, through preaching and through um, uh, uh, the work of the, the, the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Christ on the cross into our hearts, we'd still be tares. We would still, we would, we would be the ones advocating, promoting, and doing more of the wickedness. But thanks be to God that he would save us and that he would transfer us from being a tare into being wheat. And we have to be thankful that we're surrounded by tares because of that, so that we can witness to them and show them the goodness of God and the love of God, not perverted by, by media or, or storytellers or just not thinking people, but show them who the true and living God is, to show the fruit, no matter how small the, fr the fruit is, to show. See this little kindness here? 
trust me. A lot of you don't know me from my past. Kindness wasn't something that you would necessarily apply to me. Um, unless if that kindness came with selfishness, which that would just be deceit. Um, but now there's this unselfish kindness about us where we're not doing things for us. We're doing things for the benefit of those around us. And so we have to continue to be thankful and we have to be hopeful. We can't... To maintain hopefulness in our lives, I believe, is another great cure against getting bitter and distraught and confused and um, and I don't want to keep using this word but complaining about the world if th- it keeps putting us in this reactionary position where anytime the world does anything anytime uh, political leaders make a, a, a decision anytime um, people who are not following Christ are um, doing goofy stuff, it, it, it makes us react to that. And usually, I don't know about you, but I know there's still enough of the sinful nature in me that my gut reaction is sin, bitterness, anger, unrighteous anger, um, complaining, and then I have to remember, kind of pull it back, that no matter what happens on this, in this world, in this country, that the kingdom is alive and well and expanding. And I, I know that because I see it, but then I'm a part of it. He's brought me into the kingdom. And so I know that he's working, and I know that I don't want things to get worse, but if things do get worse, I have to take my eyes off this stuff here, off the the oppression, off the persecution, and point it, put my eyes upon Christ, the one who's um, saved me and brought me into his kingdom. And so instead of um, uh, complaining about or just having soapboxes on um, our attorney generals or, or health officials or whatever, we ought to pray for them. Isn't that, isn't that what First uh, Timothy says? To pray for all men, for all kings, so that we can live a peaceful life. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily to be reminded of who God is and and who who the king is. We're not the king. Christ is the king. And let him um, comfort us in, in the cross that he bore for us and to pray again and to share our faith. And, and it's really interesting because I'm growing more and more to um, understand that, like, 
sharing my faith doesn't always have to come with a full-blown gospel presentation. Um, that's something different, I think. Or sharing my joy can be real easy. I got into this really bad habit of um, buying old typewriters. Thankfully, I only bought two. Um, but it's only thankful because they're expensive. Um, well, they can be. It was $70. And I'm just justifying that, so never mind. But I needed it cleaned and repaired, so I found a place in uh, Berg Hill. Uh, his, the guy's name is Ken, and I took it there, and we were talking, and he was actually expressing uh, some views of what's going on in the political realm, and I just nonchalantly said, yeah, that stuff would have really riled me up. Um, but thankfully, I know who, who the Savior is, and, and so I'm grounded, and, you know, I don't want to be whipped or shot at or anything like that, but if God wants that to happen, that's fine. He'll be with me throughout the whole thing. Come to find out that he's a Christian. And so we need to start sharing our faith in, in, in this very Christian dialogue with other people. Especially with brothers and sisters, we have to keep encouraging them the way Paul and the other uh, writers of the epistles encourage one another. And we have to be loving. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, we're, to we're, we're commanded to love, but then, like, we should love um, because of what Christ has done for us and because of our love for Him. I, I, I think that our life on earth is a life of inconvenient love, that we don't get to pick and choose who to love and on what grounds or to love them and on what, uh, um, how do you say, qualifications to love them. I mean, for goodness sakes, Matthew uh, chapter 5, was it? says that we are to love our enemies. That goes beyond everything that my, 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 my own thinking says that I, I should do or should not do. But that's what we should do. Because when we were once enemies of God, he still loved us. When we were rebelling against him, he still loved us. When we made no sense to him, in a very human language kind of a sense, he still loved us. So when... We have to start loving in such a way that our love moves to um, to save and to heal and to protect and to edify and to build up. Because love doesn't mock and deride. It doesn't dismiss people. It cares for people. It wants the best for people. When um, new laws come out, or new mandates, or whatever you want to call them, and we don't agree with them, the first thing, our first reaction should be, well, we should have been praying that the wisdom of the Lord would come upon them. But after that, that knowing that they're still far from the Lord, that the Lord would draw them near to them, that he would call them to himself, that he would, like 
he did with us, convey them from the, the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because really, that's all that's happening. And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter who's, um, to some degree, it doesn't matter what's going on, right? Because the main thing is this, that the kingdom of heaven has come and it will come. And that people in their rebellion will be gathered out of this kingdom. All things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And they will be cast into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you, but I don't want this for anybody. As much as I can't stand certain crimes that are committed or sins that are dealt with, done, I don't want my knee-jerk reaction to be, this is their judgment. I, want, I, I pray that they would be that they would be judged in the earthly courts and that they would find their need for Christ and that they would come to him and that he would take the judgment for them and that we have a new brother and sister. And that's a hard thing to do. And, and trust me, easily, there's a couple things that I, I just can't let go of and I just want these people to perish and, and, to, and to serve everlasting condemnation for these things. But I have to pray for them and to love them and to ask God to come into their lives. Because no matter how much we don't like critical theory or, or intersectionality or socialism or the LGBT or whatever that we're culturally battling, it's my desire that those people are in the pews here, hearing the gospel every week. Because it's my desire, and I think it's God's desire, that all men should be saved. And I want the opportunity, for, personally, the opportunity for them to, to see who God is. And to, and to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Because there's going to come a point where, and it's happening, where their philosophies and their ideologies are starting to break down. Maybe not in the world where they need to, they, it can't break down, but in the day-to-day, -day, individual lives, it's breaking down. And these folks are, are either giving themselves over uh, to, to drugs or, or to further in that sin, or to suicide. And if we're going to ride the mocking train when that's happening, I want off that train. And I want on the train that's going to do what Spurgeon once said. If they're going to leap into hell, let them leap over our dead bodies. I, and that's the love that we must have. And we have to... Um, open to drawing them into our homes. It's great that we have Christian fellowship, and we should. 
But like part of the kingdom is that it's, it's open. Bring these folks into your homes. If they invite you into their home, go. Even if it's dirty, filthy, even if it's something that you're like, oh, I just don't want to be around that. Jesus was identified with the prostitutes and the drunks, the tax collectors, the worst people of, of, of that culture. And I think we need to start doing that too. So that these terrors would be brought into the kingdom and made into wheat. For the limited aspect and scope of this parable, it's um, I, we have to look at the tares, and we have to for the tares that are out here, the unbelievers, the ones who deny and reject God and Christ. And I don't do this as a scare tactic; I do this as promoting the truth here. We see that the kingdom will have the wheat and the tares, the sons of the kingdom, the sons of the wicked one. We see it now. We see it in our society. And so we know that verses 41 to 43 will happen. that the angels, the reapers, will gather out of the kingdom all that offend and all those who practice lawlessness. You'll be bound up together and cast into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is the future for you. Our future for the church or for those um, within the kingdom is that uh, we will shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father. I, I like that those two things are put there together to show the different um, judgments. But I think we can say that it's clear that those in 41 and 42 can become those in 43. We've all offended and we've all committed lawlessness. We've all practiced lawlessness. I know I have. I've expressed some um, up here before. We're all in the same boat. None of us sought after God and all of us fall short of the glory of God and we've all sinned against the Creator, the One who is holy and loving and good, as we see in the first chapters of Genesis. But he provides a way for the tares, for, for us offenders, for us um, re re rebellious against him to come to him, to become one of the sons of the kingdom or the daughter. And that's through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, that he would die for you. Well, before that, he would live a righteous life that he would cloak you in. 
that he would take the judgment, the wrath of God for you. And that he would give you everlasting life. But it's only available to you if you believe and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And he calls you today to do that. To put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, you're going to be surrounded by other terrors still. You might produce small fruit. You might not get enough water. But he's going to care for you until the harvesting comes. And he's going to make sure that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will not be cast into the furnace, but that you will shine bright as the sun shines forth in the kingdom of the Father. And I pray that you do put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Man, we thank you for the reality of your word and for the reality of the kingdom. We thank you that you are continually working in this world and within our hearts. Father, I just pray that you would save those who are not saved, that you would encourage those that are saved, and that you would bless us as we um, go out into this world. Help us, Lord. The tares are intertwined with us, and we're intertwined with them. We just thank you that you will always be with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.